Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming. The program brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. That is Alberta's absolute best jerky. I would venture to say it's the best beef jerky that you've ever tasted. If you haven't tasted it yet, and if you happen to live in Western Canada, then do yourself a favor. WillhawkBeefJerky.com is their website. It's spelled W-I-L-H-A-U-K BeefJerky.com. Get your order in. Uh, it will arrive to you uh, vacuum sealed, fresh on delivery. It's it's fantastic. I highly, highly recommend it. Anyone I know that has tried it has agreed that it is the best beef jerky you've ever had. I have a full slate of guests for you, and the show is coming out a day late, so let's get right to it. The CHL Top 10 coming into this weekend. Really quickly, the Winnipeg Ice, number one, followed by the Quebec Rampart and the Ottawa 67. So you got one team from each uh, league. Uh, represented in the top three. And then it's, uh, it's a pretty WHL-heavy uh, top ten. The Portland Winterhawks are number four. Seattle is five. Saskatoon is seven. Red Deer is eight. And in between there, the Sherbrooke Phoenix are number six. North Bay and Windsor round out the top ten. Honorable mentions this week go to Saginaw, Gatineau, and the Halifax Mooseheads. As I'm speaking with you, it is a Saturday, so the uh, Friday night games are now in the books. Your top scorers in the Western Hockey League, uh, no surprise, Connor Bedard still leading everybody. He's got 49 points this year. 20-year-old Connor McLennan of the Winnipeg Ice is next. He has 39 points. Draft-eligible Andrew Crystal of the Kelowna Rockets and uh, 20-year-old Owen Peterson from the Winnipeg Ice. They're tied with 38. And draft-eligible Cohen Zimmer of the Prince George Cougars has 36. Also draft-eligible Zach Benson and uh, draft-eligible Riley Height are right next uh, with 35. So, man, that top end of the draft class this year in the WHL is fantastic. In the Ontario Hockey League, Ty Voigt of the Sardius Sting is leading the way. He's got 40 points. It's a pretty good lead uh, over uh, the next leading scorer. That's uh, Denny Gore uh, from the Owen Sound Attack. Owen Sound is actually uh, piling up in the uh, top five. Uh, Pavel Minchikov from Saginaw is number three, but then Cedric Guidon. Has 30 points, and Colby Barlow has 29 points. So three of the top five in the OHL scoring race are uh, from Owen Sound. Owen Sound has 29 points. They're sitting on top of the Midwest Division. 
Uh, Saginaw has 33 points there in first place in the West Division, so the conference lead uh, goes to Saginaw. All right, let's go over to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Top scorer in the queue happens to be leading the entire Canadian Hockey League in scoring. That is Jordan Dume of the uh, Halifax Mooseheads. 51 points right now, so he's uh, outscoring Connor Bedard. Dume, a third-round pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with him uh, for the World Junior Championship uh, team for Team Canada. Was not invited to the summer camp that they had, but how do you keep this guy off the team, let alone getting an invite? It just seems like a... Uh, Huge oversight if Dume isn't uh, at least invited to the camp. I mean, the, the tournament's being held in Halifax and Moncton. It'd be pretty interesting to see uh, the reaction if uh, Dume uh, does not get at least a camp invite. That would be shocking to me. Dume is first. He's got 51 points. It's a big uh, drop to Justin Gill and Alex Doucette, who have uh, 38 points respectively. Zachary Bolduc and Theo Rochette, both from the Quebec Rampart, are next with 37 and 36 points. Riley Kidney from Bathurst, also with 36 points. The Canadian Junior Hockey League, that's Junior A across Canada, nine leagues without the BCHL now. Balford, still the number one ranked team. They are unbeaten in regulation time this year. They have a record of 20-0-2-1. They are holding down the number one spot. The Brooks Bandits have won 13 straight games coming into the weekend. And they were playing the old Grizzlies on a Friday night, so I'm just going to look it up, but I would be shocked if uh, they didn't clobber Olds. 5-1, the Brooks Bandits beating Olds, so that would be a 14-game winning streak. Brooks has built up a significant lead in the uh, AJHL standings, no surprise uh, with this hot streak that they're on, but they've got 56 points. The next closest team is Spruce Grove. They've got 41 points, and then it's a big drop to everybody else who... Nobody else has more than 33 points right now. So once again, a two-horse race in the AJHL, and once again, it's Brooks and Spruce Grove. You tell me, is that good for the league? I mentioned the BCHL no longer in the uh, CJHL uh, under the umbrella. If they were, it'd be tough to argue that Penticton wouldn't be the number one team as they are off to a 22-0 and record to begin the season. A perfect 22 wins in 22 games. And uh, the leading scorer, he was just on the show last week. That would be Bradley Nadeau, who is now up to 47 points. Josh Nadeau, his uh, brother, older brother, has one point behind him. Bradley Nadeau has 24 goals and 23 helpers for 47 points in just 22 games. He and uh, older brother Josh both going to Maine next year. South of the border in the USHL, Jack Harvey from the Chicago Steel now leading the league in scoring. He's got 28 points. Cole Knubel of the uh, Fargo Force, which uh, right now are the top team in the USHL. He's got 26 points. Uh, Michael Emerson of uh, the Steel has 24. Miko Matika from the Madison Capitals, they are in last place in the league. But uh, he's doing his part. He's got 23 points. And then uh, Jaden Perron. And uh, Max Swanson uh, from Chicago and Fargo, respectively, they are tied for fifth with 22 points. And in the North American Hockey League, Christian Catalano still leading the uh, league in scoring. He's got 34 points in 25 games. The Maryland Black Bears, uh, top team still in the North American Hockey League. I was just cruising through the uh, North American Hockey League website. Saw a picture of the Maine Nordique uniforms. Pretty sharp. There's some pretty interesting and unique uniforms in the uh, in the Null. 
you haven't looked at their website, uh, why don't you check that out? NAHL.com. It's a 29-team league, so you'd hope that uh, some of those 29 teams would have some pretty cool jerseys, and they do. The top 20 in the USCHO poll coming into this weekend's action of uh, college hockey, well, it's going to change right away. The Denver Pioneers were no- ranked number one, but they lost 3 nothing at home on Friday night uh, against the uh, Omaha Mavericks. Minnesota, meanwhile, number two, they defeated Arizona State. That was a road victory for the Golden Gophers, uh, game two going uh, today. So if Minnesota does well there again, I would assume they would recapture the number one spot. It's a bit of a lighter schedule in uh, the NCAA this week because it's Thanksgiving uh, weekend down south. But uh, a couple of the other games that uh, caught my attention. Uh, how about the Long Island Sharks, the University of Long Island? They beat Ohio State 3-2. to two. Stephen Halliday, a goal and an assist in that one for the uh, Buckeyes. North Dakota and Bemidji State tied 3-3. Western Michigan defeating Northeastern. They score six goals on Devin Levi. And uh, leading scorer Ryan McAllister picked up three points in that game. He's got 29 points. Freshman leading NCAA in scoring. It's a freshman who's second as well. That's Adam Fantilli. He's got 24 points. Five-point gap between McAllister and Fantilli. Both of them freshmen. Both of them Canadian. A couple other news and notes items I wanted to pass on. Uh, Eve Gascon, remember her? She played for the Gatineau Olympique. She played a couple of games in net for the Olympique uh, last year. Uh, she has uh, finally been able to formally announce, or maybe it's uh, from Minnesota Duluth's perspective, but uh, she is joining the Bulldogs for next year. And you might be wondering, well, how come she was able to play in the queue and still go the college route? Uh, I had the same question. I asked uh, my contacts at College Hockey Inc., and was told, uh, yes, for uh, men and women, slightly different rules. There are still a lot of restrictions, things that uh, both UMD and uh, Eve herself had to be aware of uh, while she was uh, playing a little bit for Gatineau last year. Uh, But she was able to uh, maintain her eligibility, so she is off to play college hockey next year. And lastly, uh, Team Sweden in the World Junior A Challenge, I believe it's the first time they're ever coming, uh, and they are bringing a pretty good team. A lot of draft-eligible players coming. So if you were going to be in Cornwall and you were going to take in the uh, five-team tournament, you know, you go to Elite Prospects and you click on a Draft Center and it brings up a lot of the names for the 2023 draft. And they kind of separate basically the top 30 or something like that and then everybody else. Well, a lot of these players are listed either in the top uh, echelon or of the notables from each country. Uh, Theo Lindstein, Otto Stenberg, Zeb Forsfall. Noel Nord, Axel Sandine Pelica, Noah Erlinden, the goaltender, Tom Willander, Joel Svensson, Callie Carlson, Anton Wallenberg. They're all coming. So that's going to be a really notable tournament here for the uh, NHL draft. That roster just being announced here in the last day or two. In fact, it's been announced since I had the conversation with my first guest this week because we talk a little about the World Junior A Challenge very briefly. And just a sense that we haven't heard yet who's uh, going to be playing in the tournament outside of the U.S. roster. And it didn't look like there was a tremendous amount of impact for the 2023 NHL draft. Uh, But now that's changed because Sweden is bringing a team. Speaking of guests, all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. The tap room in Red Deer is uh, the home base for Troubled Monk. You can place orders online and pick up from the brewery. Or you can pick uh, up orders at the uh, Farmer's Market in Calgary or the Edmonton Farmer's Market, or you can just go to your local liquor store, and if they don't have Troubled Monk, demand that they get it in for you. 
uh, because it is available to them. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop and see all the different varieties of beverages that they have available because it's not just beer. It's craft beverages worth sharing. Not craft beer, craft beverages. If they do, Of course, they do have beer, but they've also got soda and they've got some spirits as well. Check them out at troubledmonk.com. This week's guest list and the order that we will hear these conversations will kick it off with Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet as we go through his rankings for the 2023 NHL Draft. Lots of players uh, that we uh, talked about uh, during that uh, interview, so I know a lot of fans of the draft will have an interest in that. Then we're going to speak with Adam Giardino, who is the uh, voice of the UConn Huskies in the NCAA. UConn only plays one game this weekend. It's actually uh, tonight as they are playing, I think it's against Cornell that they're playing. Yes, it is. It is against Cornell, and they're playing at Madison Square Garden. So uh, pretty cool night there for the Huskies and uh, the Big Red. In fact, I believe the Edmonton Oilers and the New York Rangers are playing right now as I'm recording this. So they're they're the opening act at uh, Madison Square Garden today as uh, UConn and Cornell will headline uh, the day's events at Madison Square Garden. Anyway, so Adam Giardino is the uh, radio voice for that club. Terrific season that UConn is having, and uh, we uh, discuss why that is. Also a really cool project that uh, Adam has created. Then we're going to uh, talk some Q with uh, Willie Paloff from the Halifax uh, Chronicle Herald and uh, Saltwire. We're going to pick his brain about Jordan Dumay and the Halifax Mooseheads and get a bit of a feel for the rest of the league as well. And we will close things out this week with a 2023 draft spotlight. Riley Height, who I mentioned earlier with the Prince George Cougars. The Cougars are having a terrific season now, sitting as I speak third place in the Western Conference, but first place in the BC Division. And Riley Height considered by most to be a first-round pick for the upcoming NHL draft. So a busy show. We will kick it off with Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Feist off the boards to center. Now over the blue line, Bedard. High slot, drag. What a move, Bedard. Through the legs. Scores! What a beautiful goal by Connor Bedard in Calgary. Holy smokes. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pass, and this is the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I can't sugarcoat this. We're at threat level midnight. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to begin this week's episode in uh, fine fashion as uh, we're going to be joined momentarily by uh, Sportsnet's Sam Cosentino and get the, the inside scoop on the uh, new rankings that he just came out about a week ago at sportsnet.ca. But quick reminder, the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. You can get it shipped to you anywhere in Western Canada. All right, we uh, head out to Ontario, and uh, 
Sam Cosentino is back on the Pipeline Show. Sam, uh, I got to tell you, I was talking with a play-by-play guy in uh, in the WHL. I don't know if I should sing them out or not, but you know, I share all the audio from the Pipeline Show with all the broadcasters so they can use it as intermission filler and stuff. Oh, and, nice. and I was asked, he said, "This is the, what you do is great and stuff, but can we get Sam back? So by request, Sam Cosentino uh, back on the Pipeline Show. How are you? That's really kind of uh, of whomever that was. All right, it was Regan Bartell with the Kelowna Rockets. There you go. You can send him a note. Yeah, he's a good man, and sure, he'd want to hear what's going on with a couple of his guys and uh, and Andrew Crystal and Caden Price. I'm sure he'd yep. be interested to see what's going on with those guys. Well, it's it's great to have you back on the show, and uh, perfect timing with your uh, new November ranking uh, that's come out just after the Five Nations, and uh, you know next month we got the World Junior A Challenge. I don't know how much that will factor into this year's because I'm not sure how many of the Draft eligible guys will be playing in that tournament, but the Five Nations was a significant one, wasn't it? It was, and it was pretty interesting because typically it's held over in Europe, so there was an opportunity for uh, for plenty of NHL personnel to get over to Plymouth to to watch this year's edition. Um, you know, typically the Russians are not, they're not always. You know what? I don't think they're actually involved now. So it was, it was mm. Czechia, Sweden, Finland, Swiss, Switzerland. And the U.S. Under-18 program. So there's plenty of guys to get a good look at and, and really hunker down on it. For me, the, the travel to, to Michigan's a drive away. It's not too far from where I went to school. Uh, about a four, four and four and a half hour drive to get there. But what was pretty neat me was, you know, I think over the course of the three days that I was there, I must have seen maybe 10 or 12 general managers actually in the building. Oh, wow. So um, I don't think that tournament typically allows for that to happen. Um, but this time around with it being in Michigan and so close and, you know, GMs can sneak away for a day or two here or there. Uh, there, there were plenty of them there and not only that, but, but every team had multiple, uh, multiple scouts there. So, um, you know, re- everyone really taking advantage of the fact that this event was, was on North American soil and, uh, yeah, it was great. It was great to see. I mean, the U S was, was pretty dominant in the event, but, uh, you know, there are a few key guys were with their under 20 teams. Edward Chalet was, was with the Czech under 20 team. Um, Leo Carlson was with the Sweden under 20 team. Casper Halton, and uh, I think he was hurt with Finland, but would have been with the U, U 20 team anyhow. But for the most part, you got a real nice cross section of what the, what some of those other countries have uh, have to offer. So it was great, a great, a great event to be at. Well, and certainly uh, one of those guys you mentioned, and Leo Carlson, uh, factors heavily or features heavily, highly in your uh, ranking, uh, coming in number two behind Connor Bedard. And you make a, a nice point at the start of the write-up this month that, you know, a year ago, if you'd said anybody other than Connor Bedard was even in the conversation to go number one, you'd be crazy. Uh, but Leo Carlson, Adam Fantilli, Matt Vimichkov, it's a really, really good high end, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. So scouts are really excited about it. And, and obviously, Mitchkov is the guy to, to kind of keep an eye on because geopolitically and, and of course, his contract, there's a lot of moving parts that's going on with uh, with that particular player. Uh, so we'll leave him aside, but then jump to Leo Carlson, who I had second in my November rankings. But, I mean, 6'3", 190 pounds, really good skater, excellent creativity and vision, and, and a guy who... Um, you know, who at that size is really going to, you know, it's going to draw a, a lot of eyes. Um, and the fact, I think, that you're putting up good numbers. Last I checked was, was 12 points in 17 games uh, playing in the SHL, which is a really difficult league for draft-eligible players. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, seemingly handled it just fine. And 
I guess another mark for me is, you know, oftentimes when these guys are playing in their top professional men's leagues, what is it that they do when they go back and play with their age group or at least close to their age group? So over the international break, Carlson had the opportunity to suit up with the, with the U20 uh, national team for Sweden. I think he had five points in, in two or three games there. So it's nice to see those guys being able to adjust when they go back to their age class and still produce at a high clip and they don't seem rattled by, um, you know, the change in competition. So Carlson's a, he's a really, really interesting guy and, you know, no one's willing to give up the the belt yet for Connor Bedard, but I think this guy is going to be a challenger when push comes to shove. Well, and Adam Fantilli is right there too, isn't he? I mean, he's had such an amazing start to the year for Michigan. I think he's slowed down a little bit the last couple of weeks, uh, but man, that's, He's got everything you want too: size, speed, skill, um, the IQ, everything there. Everything, everything fits the bill here for for him. There's no question about it. Uh, and you know, Fantelli's had a pretty long runway going back to his days playing in the the Greater Toronto Hockey League, and then uh, progressing through the Chicago Steel, and now get an opportunity once again to play with his brother. So he, uh, again, you talk about size. I think the, the one kind of differential for him is the fact that he plays center and when i look at bedard you know do you project him as a center at the nhl not so sure that's the case leo carlson he projects more as a winger Hmm. um and so now you know obviously center has a little bit more cachet and a little bit more value to it when it comes to uh, the nhl draft and and that's something that uh, pushes him a little bit ahead of the pack in terms of that positional bias but really really good player excellent skater you know he, he's a he's a play driver, which uh, people talk about a lot in, in NHL circles, and uh, I'll be fascinated to see how he ends up throughout the rest of his freshman year with uh, with a really good but unexpected uh, Michigan team. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet is my guest as we uh, take a look at the November rankings uh, available at Sportsnet.ca. Uh, Sam, I'm taking you back to 1990, the fifth overall pick. Back in 1990, was a, name, a fella by the name of Yermer Jaeger. There's a uh, another Jaeger who is available this year, who you have ranked number five, and that's the way I've been told to remember how to pronounce it, that it's Braden Jaeger and not Jaeger. That it's the same as nice. Yermer Jaeger. So, well, Braden Jaeger coming in number five on your list, and uh, he's just another of the number of WHL players uh, that you have ranked. I think you have eight or nine guys in, in your uh, top 32. It's a really strong year, isn't it? And you got Jaeger and Zach Benson of the Winnipeg Ice uh, side by side, five and six. Uh, but uh, it's a it's a banner year for the WHL. No, it sure is. And you know what's really cool, and you get to see it, you know, in kind of the other part of your job, especially in the in the Eastern Conference. There, you get an opportunity to see Connor Bedard, and you get an opportunity to see the the Braden Jaegers, the Jaegers of the world, uh, and, and it's in the Zach Benson's and what's really cool for me is if you look at the the WHL leading scores it's littered with first year draft eligible guys and that typically isn't the case I mean Benson's been just on a tear lately um, you know Riley Hyde out in Prince George I think Cohen Zemer has really um, surprised some people with his production to this point you got Andrew Crystal uh, playing really well with Kelowna so it's kind of cool to see how these draft eligible guys are the ones leading the way um, and, and that's, you know, that speaks to the depth of, of this class in the WHL. And, you know, talking to some people around the league going back about a month ago, I said, I think you guys are really starting to reap the benefits of even what was a, a, a 24 game season during the pandemic to allow these younger guys 
who would have, you know, in a regular year would have never have gotten 24 games worth of experience. They got to do so at a younger age than typically you're allowed to in the Western Hockey League. So uh, I, I think that has really benefited this group well. And who knows if there's some other factors in there that where, where kids had time to kind of get away from the game a little bit. Um, and maybe just work on their their skills personally, and and maybe that has allowed those guys to to excel at least to this point in the year, and and to push themselves, uh, you know, as the top as the top of the three uh, CHL leagues. But uh, yeah, really nice to see how that's come together. And go figure, you got another star coming out of the Moose Jaw Warriors. They continue mm-hmm. to to pump out uh, top notch NHL talent, and and I think Jagger uh, is not going to be any different. Uh, Sam Cosentino, my guest. Uh, all right, you mentioned uh, the OHL and the Q, maybe not up to uh, where the WHL is for this one particular season. I think the only player that NHL Central Scouting gave an A rating to out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League was uh, Ethan Goche, who I had on the show well about a month ago. Really well-spoken kid. I really enjoyed the conversation with him. Uh, tell me about him as a player, though, because he's a more-than-a-point-per-game guy. I know he had a terrific Holinka Gretzky Cup this past summer. Seems like there's lots to like, and he's going to wow everybody at the uh, combine when he gets into the interviews for sure. Yeah, no question. And if you've had, uh, I've been lucky enough over the years. His dad's uh, an assistant coach in Drummondville, so I've been able to kind of, you know, just check in with him over the course of the years when I was doing junior hockey games for Sportsnet. And in fact, uh, I was out there two weeks ago uh, in early early November. Um, went in Drummondville. Got a chance to talk to, to Danny once again. You know, told me a great story about his son that uh, I put in the, you know, in the coffers and we'll, we'll bring it out on draft day. But it's pretty easy to see that the apple doesn't far fall from the tree. A guy who's super serious, hyper competitive, um, but really has that ability when he's out there just to find areas, um, you know, where he makes himself available. And once he gets it, he usually doesn't miss. Now, he, he is benefited by playing on the line with Josh Roy, uh, Montreal Canadiens draft pick, who's lighting it up right now in the queue, and, of course, uh, Justin Gill, who's really come out of nowhere to, to kind of lead the way for, uh, you know, for Sherbrooke. So that might be one of the best lines in, in junior hockey. I mean, for sure it's one of the best lines in junior hockey. I guess the question would be, would it, would it be a, a challenger to be the top line in all of junior hockey? And that, you know, might be a little bit more difficult to come by. But for Goche. You know, he just gets around that net. He has that knack within that 15-foot radius around the net to find areas in which to score. He's got really good hands. So tips and rebounds are, are, are a specialty for him. Uh, and having guys go to that area and the ice, stay there, maintain their position there, and then find soft ice in that area, it's a, it's a real skill. It's, uh, it's underrated. It's, uh, it doesn't go missed by the NHL scouts, and, and Ethan has a, a lot of that. So... I think though, when you you know you com- combine his ability to play the game with what you say and what you experienced in your interview with him, you're looking at a guy who very uh, very comfortably sits for me in the top fifteen. And maybe just because he's a product of a, a former NHL, you kind of grow up in that atmosphere and you, you you learn how to conduct yourself as a young man. So maybe there's something uh, to those bloodlines. Uh, the OHL. The Guelph Storm at the start of the year, it was a lot expected of the Storm this year, and it just has not come to fruition for them. Uh, Cam Allen, uh, I know you have him uh, in your top, uh, in your, well, in your first round, I think, uh, in the mid-20s. I don't know if he's a consensus uh, first-rounder anymore. What have you made of, not maybe not just his season, uh, but for the Storm, too, and what's gone wrong there? 
it's it's really hard to figure. But you know, essentially, uh, you know, Scott Walker started out as the as the coach there. And if if you look at this group of players, for the most part, they've had George Burnett. They had Scott Walker for a short time before he had to leave the bench, and, and now uh, Chad Wiseman is there. So. Uh, you're you're talking about like from the end of last year to this year, that core group of players, you know, a bunch of which we saw drafted last year uh, and even Cam Allen, who was there last year, uh, have experienced three, three different coaches. And that can be really challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Cam uh, is a guy who obviously, you know, wore the C for Canada at the link and helped lead him to gold medal, played really well there. But when you take a step back and you look at what he does, you know, the, the feedback that I get is, he does a lot of things well, but nothing, nothing he excels at that puts him above the crowd in one particular area. So maybe that area is the intangibles and the leadership when it comes, comes to Cameron Allen. But like, you know, this guy, he had good numbers last year mm-hmm. and the numbers just haven't been there. The play has really fallen off the map. I think he um, is a guy who one of those few guys that you see every year that really is just suffering from the draft year blues. And it's unfortunate the timing is not great, but that also gives scouts a bit of a read on how this young man is going to be able to handle pressure moving forward. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, he ends up going the latter stages of the first or, or somewhere in the second. You're going to get a good person. You're going to get a leader. You're going to get a guy who's going to be able to do a lot of things well. Maybe the projections in terms of his offense won't be what with what you see at the junior level, but still you're going to get a good player. But he is probably the guy... Uh, who's who's suffered the most so far in the first couple months of the CHL season. Sam, I want to ask you about Matthew Wood, who uh, is playing as a 17-year-old at the NCAA level. It's Most guys are 19 or 20 when they get to the college. Uh, there's not a lot of 18-year-old freshmen, let alone a 17-year-old. It's really impressive the start of the year that he's had considering that. He's got 12 points in 15 games is what you and I are speaking right now. This is a year after he led the BCHL in scoring with 85 points in 46 games. Mm-hmm. Played at the U18 last year, only had a couple of points, but uh, the U18 for Canada wasn't all that great in in uh, last spring. Uh, but at the hi- Ivan Holinka, five points in five games. He wasn't necessarily one of the standout players, though. But this this season at the NCAA level, that's that's really got people exciting, doesn't it? It is. It's it's super impressive. So he's a he's a shooter by nature, and that's where he's going to make his mark. Talked to Mike Cavanaugh, his head coach there, and I uh, said like this is a bigger body guy, he's still growing into his body. But one thing we're quite certain of is his ability to shoot the puck, and mm-hmm. and we believe, uh, you know, at UConn that that's a translatable thing right now. So um, you look at a guy who's going to get uh, bigger and stronger, and you think, oh wow, this is this is really going to bode well for Matthew Wood in the fu- in the future. Um, you know, BCHL success is something you have to take note of. Uh, you know, you think about Alex Newhook going back a couple of years ago. Um, you think about what Bradley Nadeau has done this year. I know he was on the show recently yeah. uh, for you. Um, you have to take some uh, some stock into what happens in that league. It's a good league. It's, you know, mostly college-bound players. Kent Johnson, another one. Kent Johnson, another guy, of yeah. course, had a ton of success there. So um, when you look at what he's been able to do at that, age at that level it's a lot like Fantilli you have to take notice of a point production playing uh, against competition sometimes upwards of, of 23 years old so really impressive stuff for Matthew Wood and, and go figure kind of a bigger guy who's going into his body there's a guy now who's doing some pretty good things who came from that very same program same coach uh, by the name of Tage Thompson so mm-hmm. 
not to make those comparisons, but I think if you're talking about a developmental path and, and you see it, you might wait a little bit longer for a Matthew Wood like we've waited for Tage Thompson. Uh, but I do think there are some some similarities between the two. Uh, last one I want to ask you about, uh, and it's actually two guys, because last year we didn't have a goalie taken until, what, the end of the second, maybe early third round. Yeah. Two years ago, though, we had uh, Jesper Wallstead and Sebastian Kosa both go in the first round. And your top uh, 32, you've got uh, two goaltenders as well. And Michael Rabel, who plays in the USHL with the Omaha Lancers. He's out of the Czech Republic or Czechia. Uh, and uh, Carson Bjarnason, who's uh, with the Brandon Wee Kings, who we just saw here in Edmonton uh, last weekend. Are we looking at these two guys sort of on par with Wallstead and Kosa that year? Or, you know, in a normal year? I mean, this is this is a really strong draft. So two guys, yeah. two goalies in this first round, they got to be pretty good. Yeah, and, and and the interesting part for me, it, it, it comes maybe with more risk this year than than ever, just because of the pandemic, and that's the position that requires the most uh, development, the most number of games in order to to really see improvement. So, considering both guys have have kind of gone through that and are sitting in a position now where they could both go in the first round, is is really impressive. But you know, Rabble's like uh, you know a six foot six guy, so immediately that's going to turn the heads of every NHL scout. Mm-hmm. There's going to be no height bias to have to be considered there. Good numbers in the USHL. Has had a couple of blowups here, you know, going back maybe a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, his ability to cover the lower part of the net while he's down in the butterfly, still with his size, you know, it takes up a large portion of the upper part of the net as well. And so that's something that's obviously very uh, appealing with the way NHL shooters are these days. When it comes to Bjarnason, though, you're talking about a guy who he's just really calm. He's efficient back there. Um, he's, he's an athletic guy. He doesn't overplay things, um, you know. Uh, and, and so you're looking at a guy who's had some experience internationally, has played with a pretty good branded team going back to last year. Um, and, and a program that's, you know, produced some, some decent goaltenders in the past. So, um, I look at both of these guys, um, that when you get into that past 20 round in this draft, then you start thinking about one of those guys. And I think the big wild card there is what's going to happen in terms of, of trades and acquisitions between now and the draft that's going to give teams multiple picks. Mm-hmm. And I think those multiple pick teams are a lot more. Uh, prone to to maybe looking at a goalie with their second pick. I don't know if you know Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun. I had him on a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me about Bjarnason because he's an undrafted player. Get this. This is a guy who's now ranked in the first round of the NHL draft, yeah. was not taken in the WHL Bantam draft, but because he was 5'10 back then. Now he's 6'3". Mm-hmm. The, the Wheat Kings yeah. invite him to camp and, and uh, list him right away. Uh, it's it's incredible. That's uh, It's a great story there for sure. Uh, with Carson Bjarnason. Uh, now, is there anybody that I haven't asked you about that that maybe has a uh, you know a, a special a thought in your head right now that this is a guy that you're watching? Maybe you didn't rank him in the top 32, maybe, uh, but uh, somebody you definitely are keeping tabs on. Two guys I'm looking at would be David Reinbacker, is an Austrian who plays in the Swiss Men's Pro League. He's playing in all situations over there, playing 17 or 18 minutes a night. So. Uh, you know, putting up some points and, and defending well. So he's one guy. The other guy is Axel uh, Sandin Pelica. Mm-hmm. So watch him play at the at the uh, at the Five Nations. And to be perfectly honest with you, they probably should have been included on my on my list of 32. And as I got going through it, you know, you're pushing names in and out and adding new names and subtracting others. And he's kind of one that slipped by me. But I think when we get to July or rather June, uh, I think he's a guy who's going to end up going the first round. Right shot defenseman. Uh, 
uh, ability to get pucks through from the point. You play the power play. I don't know if that's going to be something he'll do, uh, at least at a, in a PP1 level, uh, at the next level. Uh, but, man, the way he skates is just so fluid. It's so effortless. It's so beautiful. And, and those guys who are really fluid in motion, they have the, the ability to burn you because you think he's not really moving, and then you kind of get going on your on, on your heels a little bit. And next thing you know, he's biased. So he has that kind of ability to, um, you know, to, to kind of change gears on you unexpectedly and, and so smoothly you don't even notice it. So uh, he's a guy that 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 I think is going to end up uh, in the first round and will be back in the top 32 when we uh, when we republish again uh, sometime around the, the middle of December. Terrific World Junior A Challenge. I don't know if that'll factor into that or not. I don't know if there are guys. I haven't seen all the rosters uh, named yet. I think only the American roster have, has been, been um, uh, publicized so far. But uh, well, I know you've been there splitting time. You got you still doing all the draft stuff for Sportsnet, but you're doing a lot of NHL now as well. What do you got coming out for Sportsnet at sportsnet, sportsnet.ca uh, that if you were on Twitter that you'd be tweeting out? <laughs> Instagram, buddy. It's where it's at. Oh, that's true. Twitter. Elon Musk is going to break it. That's right. He's going to break the Twitter. I've been trying to tell you guys this for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a a fad. Yeah, you're not biting on it. (laughs) Uh, So, see mostly just draft stuff that's going to be coming out of me there now. Not so much coverage uh, with the CHL. So, the rankings, again, will usually middle of the month uh, and there might be some stuff in between a little bit more feature type stuff. Uh, but those are discussions that we, we continue to have uh, about just how to go about doing that. Um, I think the one thing that's really cool about the situation that we're in now at Sportsnet is with the addition of Jason Bukla, it, it changes the dynamic uh, completely of how we cover the draft. You know, for a long time, I felt like a, like a one man band until we got to, to draft day and all of a sudden, you know, 50 people show up uh, <laughs> on the scene. And I think with Jason there, his his depth of knowledge, his experience, uh, you know, being a head scout with the Florida Panthers for such a long time um, is really been, A, it's been super helpful for me, uh, but B, it's done an amazing job for, for our coverage of the draft and prospects in, um, in addition to the stuff that I'd been doing. So super, super uh, happy, excited. He's a guy that... Uh, you know, unfortunately, it was a really good source for me when he was in the <laughs> NHL, and is no is no longer that. Now we're now we're colleagues, but it's great to work alongside him. It's great to learn from him. The stuff that these guys see me is, you know, when you sit and watch a game with a guy with that kind of experience, it's really, it's it's really cool because he's he's talking about stuff that you know I just don't have that that trained eye, and right. he'll sit down for five minutes and he'll have it figured out, and you'll be like, wow, that's. That's awesome. Now I see why you were who you were for such a long time. You yeah. Know? I always get nervous when somebody in that position will ask me a question about a guy because then I'm thinking, oh, they're assessing how I assess players. <laughs> That's gonna, I'm going to be like, oh, they're going to expose me. I have no idea what I'm talking about all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, right? Like, and, and I, you know, I, I feel the same way, but, you know, you're, you, you've been around the game long enough and, and this is kind of how it's evolved for me. And, and, and Jason and I have this conversation all the time. He's like, listen, everybody's different, man. Like you can think differently about someone. And, you know, if you're dead wrong factually about someone, that's one thing. But if there are things that you see in his game that you like, that you've seen at the NHL level, then your opinion is valid. Uh, it's just that those guys get paid to do it and they're doing it every single night and they're right. well, much more well versed than, than you and I are at it, but it doesn't make 
our opinions um, any less valid. So I, I hope that I hope that helps because yeah, trust me, that's that's been part of the conversation that Jason <laughs> and, I, and I have had. Yeah, you made me feel better, Sammy. As always, man, this is fun <laughs> uh, to to get to catch up with you. Uh, I look forward to uh, having you on again. Yeah, good talking to you. Take care. Thanks a lot. There's Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet with the uh, look at his November rankings for the 2023 NHL draft. And uh, that was by request for a Regan Bartel of the Kelowna Rockets. You know I always like to get Sam on the program. Well, that was uh, an overdue conversation, but the perfect timing with the rankings coming out just last week. Sam will be on again. Don't worry. Coming up next, we'll have an NCAA campus report and the voice of the Yukon Huskies is going to join me. Adam Giardino is his name. And the Yukon Huskies, uh, they were my dark horse team coming into this year. Said at some point they would hit the top 10 for the first time in program history. They're currently number six. They've been in the top 10 for a month now. How are they getting it done? We'll find out next here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Matthew Wood, part of the University of Connecticut. Power play is over. Teams are five aside. Sent out front. Score! The freshman, Matthew Wood, and UConn has finally dented the brick wall that is Jakob Dobush. I'm here with the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move! Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie score! Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores! Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man! Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. But this is an NCAA campus report segment, and you know our good friends at College Hockey Inc. Uh, would like to hear from you, especially if you're a player or you have one in your family, and there are things you need to know that you can and can't do uh, that will affect your NCAA eligibility. So get in contact with uh, Mike Snee. Or the crew over at College Hockey Inc. and they will uh, answer any questions that you might have. Uh, we are talking college hockey in this segment, and uh, one of the teams. Every once in a while, I get one right. And at the start of the year, I thought uh, UConn was going to be a, a dark horse club. They'd never been ranked in the top ten in the USCHO poll, uh, and I said at some point this year they're going to crack that top ten. Well, they've been in the top ten for the last month or so, uh, having a terrific season. Uh, are the Huskies? And uh, to talk about that is uh, the radio play-by-play man, as I'm uh, pleased to be joined. The guy who calls the games, and uh, this team has been a lot of fun to watch, and uh, I'm glad that Adam Giardino is uh, joining me here on the Pipeline Show to talk about the Huskies. Uh, Adam, welcome to the program. How are you? Gee, thank you so much. As we were uh, chatting in a commercial break there, it comes as no surprise to you that you got it right, maybe, but I think that for a lot of people around the program, this uh, you know, not the players and coaches themselves, but the fans and the supporters of UConn hockey, 
that this was a team that was one goal away in overtime against UMass in the Hockey East Championship from punching a first-ever ticket to the NCAA tournament. They were basically the top team on the outside looking in of the pairwise rankings when all the dust settled. Yeah. And they have brought in 16 new faces, including four transfers into the program. And their goalies combined for one game of collegiate experience entering this year. So you must have known something more than we did because we thought that, all right, maybe this program is certainly headed in the right direction. A new facility opens on January 14th. Um, but, you know, every, so all the excitement, all the players coming in, the infusion of talent, but it didn't necessarily seem like they were a, a sure shot to not miss a beat this year, but they sure haven't. And they have tech, taken a, a strong step forward towards um, what they hope is perennial contention in one of the best college hockey conferences in the country. Well, and I think that's what it was for me was that the the incoming group uh, and there just seems to be a growing buzz about UConn uh, after moving to Hockey East. I mean, it's it's been a bit of a slow burn. It's taken a while for the program to really kick off, but they got a lot of guys coming this year. They've got a lot of players who are coming in over the next couple of years as well. From the outside looking in, well, there's something going on at UConn. It seems like a, a program to really uh, start following closely. Uh, and so maybe I was sucked in by that. But, uh, hey, uh, I don't get them right very often, so I'll take this one for sure. <laughs> um, and, and I guess for me, uh, listen, I was telling you before, uh, I had Matthew Wood on the program back in the summer, and it was before he had uh, made his final decision on whether he was coming or not. And the fact that he is there and having such a strong year as a 17-year-old, and I was talking with somebody in the segment before this, about that. Most guys come to the play NCAA hockey, they're 19, some of them even 20 years old. 18-year-old freshman has become a rare thing. This guy is 17, and not just uh, making his way onto the team, but he's he's the second-leading scorer on the club. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? It, it really is, and one of the, the best parts about this is that one of his consistent line mates this year has been Ty Amante. Of course, his father Tony is a longtime NHL guy, and Ty had a much ballyhooed arrival at Boston University, being a, a kid that grew up in Massachusetts, and with many injuries, and you know, the, like you said, doesn't always arrive on campus as an 18-year-old. So here's a, a kid in Amante who is six years Matthew Wood senior, and they're playing on the same line at Division One college hockey. <laughs> so that's been a, a real nice dynamic, and I, I think a, a nice way for for Wood to get brought in to college hockey is to have a guy with that much experience and certainly that much institutional knowledge simply from his father. And Amante has been every bit what UConn could have hoped for in a guy coming in with his experience. And um, I know the, the, the lead in was about Matthew Wood and he's been incredible, but Ty Amante has benefited perhaps just as much. He has uh, six points and four goals this year, a year ago for BU injury ridden season, but one goal and five points. So already he's surpassed um, what he did last year. And so rising tide raises all ships and a, a guy of Matthew Wood's talent, a men's talent at 17 years old um, is helping bolster a, a, a veteran presence in Amante. And I think they're both leaning on each other in many ways this season. For those who haven't had a chance to watch Matthew Wood play, how do you describe him as a player? I mean, he's, he's six, three and 190 pounds. So he's, you know, he's a young player, but physically he's uh, he's fitting in pretty well. He's one of the bigger forwards on the club. But when it comes to speed and man strength and things like that, how is he able to compete? He has a frame that pretty obviously will continue to grow, which is which is neat and exciting. And UConn fans have had the benefit of watching a really tall center in Yakum Kondalik the last few years. 
and uh, a guy who's a property of the Nashville Predators organization now. And and Kondalik was someone who was 6'5". And frankly, when you watch Wood out there, um, I don't know if it's just maybe that his, his jersey is one size too big and so it flows a little bit more. It just looks like he's taller than 6'3". It really does <laughs> look like a, a pretty similar copy to Kondalik, who was a little bit more well-filled out at 6'5", 225 versus Matthew Woods, 6'3", 190. But just the way that he's able to shield the puck and, and do some of these these things that are subtle but um, are, are characteristics of a player that are beyond his, his years and wisdom. And so there are, there are things that Matthew Wood does on a, a game-in, game-out basis where you go, okay, this, this is why this guy was so successful in the BCHL. Um, and frankly... I, I, I've been impressed that he has been able to adjust like he has in terms of an ability to score his first two collegiate games. He had essentially identical goals on a power play wound up and, and blasted one from the left faceoff circle. Mm-hmm. And since then he has not had a power play goal. And while that's both good and bad, his three most recent goals um, have all been just showing off different skill sets and teams have adjusted and they've marked wood on the power play and they haven't allowed him to get that shot off. So there's definitely some growing pains there in terms of what he can do to adjust and become more effective on the power play unit. Um, and, you know, as a side note, this UConn power play unit as a whole really needs to kick it into gear if they're going to want to be successful long term this season. Um, that's been one of their recently, it's been one of their uh, Achilles heels. So just for Wood, it's been nice to see a 17-year-old burst in, have such immediate success his first two collegiate games, and and not have a massive setback yet in terms of frustration. And, you know, he gets two goals in two games, and he's still 12 points in 15 games in his collegiate career. So any team would sign up for that from a 17-year-old. Adam Giardino, the uh, radio play-by-play man for the uh, UConn Huskies, my guest here on the Pipeline Show, looking at those Huskies this season who are having a terrific year. Uh, the record right now, as we're speaking, 10-2-3 and uh, on the season, 7-2-2 two, and two, just in Hockey East and uh, sitting in first place. Another freshman that's an interesting story because he's kind of joined the team here uh, late recently, uh, Samu Salmon in the uh, Finnish import, who I think he was supposed to go to Denver, but that didn't work out. Uh, to the benefit of UConn. Third-round pick of the uh, New Jersey Devils. Uh, so a late arrival, but it seems like he's fitting in and, and uh, looking pretty good. Yeah, he uh, he arrived to the United States late due to uh, visa troubles. Had nothing to do with academics, nothing like that. It was simply immigration that kind of got him tied up in uh, the, the inner workings and flew from Helsinki to London to Boston the weekend that UConn played a pair of games against Boston University. And then he was very quickly inserted for a midweek contest just a few days later. So there was absolutely no hesitation on getting this guy into the mix as a freshman. He's another one at 6'3", 190 pounds. He's got pretty good size. And, and maybe I trust that 6'3", listing. And that's why I'll give Wood a, a round up to about a 6'4", um, in terms of his height. And uh, But you know, Samu is very talented. We've seen a goal and an assist so far, but it's his presence with the puck, having seen him in that first game against Boston College just a few days after arriving with his teammates, mm-hmm. that was really impressive. I mean, just for a guy that 
you know, to, to talk about plugging and playing somebody who doesn't know the system. He, he came in and he was on the power play unit the very first day that he was with the team. Wow. So um, Mike Cavanaugh had his ideas on how to use this guy. And even though the points haven't been flowing fully yet, um, certainly uh, another nice addition. Uh, I think any team would have really uh, loved to have a, a guy of his caliber join them about eight games into the season like UConn got. Adam, uh, being based up here in Canada, always have an interest in following the Canadians who are having success. And hey, listen, the top scorer for this club is Ryan Teverberg and uh, nearly made Canada's world junior team uh, last uh, last winter. Uh, and he's off to a, another terrific start here, more than a point-per-game player. Uh, what do the Toronto Maple Leafs have in this guy? Speed, a ton of it. And he is small um, at, at 5'11", 180. That that feels like a, a generous listing as well. I, I mean, but he is hard. He's hard nosed. I mean, he is just a guy that, for all the speed that he has, he doesn't mind veering to the net. And I, I think that that's a great combination. That you know, especially how many guys are able to rely on speed alone at the NHL level. Very very few. And so for for him to have success at that next level. He was going to need to to he's going to need to have the personality that he does and the mentality that he does. And so 16 points in 15 games, that's 10 goals in 15 games and coming off of one of the best individual seasons in UConn hockey history, quite frankly. Uh, And he was another guy that joined the team a semester early back during the pandemic where he just jumped in towards the end of the 2021 campaign and someone that from that very first game you just he opened your eyes and you said okay this this guy is ready to ready to go a, a team adds a piece at any point during the season and you think okay this is just a depth piece to protect against injuries and to get things going at practice but from the moment that Ryan jumped on campus you know i think that He's going to make the Maple Leafs look pretty wise taking him as a seventh-round selection. I, I can't imagine that if the draft were done right now and, and Ryan was jumping into the mix that, that teams would let this guy sit until the seventh round. They would scoop him up much, much earlier than that. And so the Leafs have a, a pretty good thing. And, you know, a, a lot a lot still needs to be done, of course, for, for any of these seventh-round picks to, to really carve out a career in the NHL. But Based on what we're seeing in terms of results on the paper, mm-hmm. Ryan's got as good a chance as anyone because he's, again, doing it in one of the best college hockey conferences in the country. Uh, Adam, uh, we were chatting before we started uh, the interview, and uh, I mentioned that one of the reasons I thought UConn was poised to have a, an interesting year this season was because of their goaltending situation. They got an incoming freshman mm-hmm. uh, out of Russia who's played in the USHL, was their goaltender of the year in the USHL last season had, and uh, put up tremendous numbers. Calgary Flames draft pick. Uh, Arseny Sergeyev, who has come in and he looks terrific, but he's not doing it by himself. It's a platoon situation there uh, for the Yukon Huskies. And uh, the other guy is Logan Turnus, happens to be another Canadian. So, you know, I got to pump his tires, too. (laughs) I mean, they're going back and forth. It seems like Turnus plays the first game each weekend and and Sergeyev plays the second game. And outside of, I think, one game for each guy, they've been outstanding this year. They, they really have, and it, it does lean, and, and I think that being humble goaltenders as they are, that they will lean on their defense, which, um, and, and credit them tremendously. And, and the defense was the one unit for UConn that coming back, they knew they had a lot of depth. They have Roman Canal, who's 
uh, the team captain, Jake Flynn as well, John Spetz, Harrison Reese, that quartet is incredibly experienced. And then Andrew Lucas is a junior transfer from Vermont, a program that doesn't have a whole lot of success of late, but is, uh, again, a guy that comes in and it's his third year of college hockey, and he knows hockey east inside and out already. He already knows the scouting reports and all the opponents. So for UConn to come in and have five of six defensive positions pretty much locked down on a nightly basis, that's going to do really well for your inexperienced goalies. And you mentioned that for Arseni coming in and being the goalie of the year previously, um, that doesn't mean that he has any collegiate hockey experience. And so he comes in with zero games of experience. Logan Turness comes in having played just one game a season ago against AIC. He gave up three goals on 31 shots and a, lo- and a losing effort. So that was a, a late season midweek game um, where it, it was really hard to deduce much from it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that for the, the two goalies coming in and the question marks surrounding them, if you were to tell Mike Cavanaugh, hey, your goalies would <laughs> through 15 games, have a 202 goals against average and a 932 save percentage, sign them up. And so that was absolutely the, the, um, uh, an unexpected, pleasant surprise, I think, for outsiders. And, uh, but I think that from inside the program that Mike Cavanaugh knew what he had in both, uh, Sergeyev and Turness, but it's always hard to, to know for sure when, Darian Hansen last year started 35 out of 36 games and mm. played just about every single minute out there for UConn and played well. He had a two four, he had a two two four goals against average. And so, um, yeah, for UConn, it's been uh, a nice surprise in some ways, but it's just been a nice reaffirmation that the cupboard contained what they thought it did in terms of the goaltenders. Maybe this is a problem for another day and a good problem at that. But once you get to or once the team gets to you know, a national tournament or the uh, Hockey East playoffs, do you keep going with what's got you there in terms of a platoon system with the goalie? One guy plays one game, the, guy, the other guy plays the next game? Or once you get into the national tournament where it's one and done, do you have to pick one guy and make him your number one? Well, I think we saw that with uh, UMass hockey a couple of years ago, riding right. uh, a couple of goalies to the national title. And I, uh, <laughs> it doesn't make me feel great thinking that that could be the possibility. And that's me both as, you know, that's me speaking as a fan. I think it would be unsettling and, you know, that's, uh, but if you're doing that over the course of the season and it's, you know, ride the horse that that got you there. And um, yeah, I think that you, you do, you start, you start both, you, you alternate and you just trust it in the way that, UMass did with Matt Murray and Philip Lindbergh. And boy, I mean, those guys were incredibly impressive helping UMass win the national title a few years ago. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that having seen that type of success recently, it, it would give UConn a real chance to m- make that claim if that's the, the route that they want to take. But I, I, I selfishly Uh, again, taking my perhaps broadcaster hat off and putting my fan hat on, uh, I would selfishly, I wouldn't mind if one goalie got really hot, the other goalie played okay, you know, closer to a two and a half goals against average. And then one of them really stood on his head for a one and a half. And there's your decision. Um, But no, I think at this point, you're on pace to, to be alternating in the, in the, Hockey East postseason, and perhaps even in the NCAAs. All right, well, let's see if uh, the Huskies can keep it going. Uh, Adam, 
Uh, I don't want to let you go without asking about uh, something else that you have going on because I think it's a really cool project. It's called the Black Play-by-Play Fund. For our Mm -hmm. listeners who might not know anything about it, please uh, give us a bit of a synopsis and and how you got involved. This is your brainchild, isn't it? It it is, yeah. Thank you for asking about this. Uh, We actually are in our third year. I just wrapped up um, our final interview of 12 applicants for our scholarship program for the 2022-23 academic year. Um, that's been one of the bigger parts of this, but essentially back in the uh, the wake of the George Floyd murder here in the United States that, um, you know, protests sprung up all over the country, but I wanted to do something tangible and broadcasting is a field that is white dominated, male dominated. And uh, as someone who worked in minor league baseball for 10 years prior to my time focusing on college athletics, there was not a single black broadcaster that I crossed paths with. And it, it's just something that, you know, the, um, the system is set up in a way that doesn't allow for people of a certain socioeconomic background to succeed or even get a foot in the door. And that needs to change. And so with the support of a ton of colleagues across the country, um, my goal was to raise $3,000 initially. And in the first 48 hours, we raised $25,000. And then all of a sudden, I had a big problem on my hand because I was <laughs> sitting on a big pile of money. And, oh, shoot, need to create an uh, official nonprofit. And it has been just an absolute pleasure to work with these kids. And um, some of them from that very first group of recipients back in 2020, one of them, Jason Ross Jr., has done games for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, he just missed out on being named their full-time voice recently, but he still is doing plenty of stuff for the Big Ten Network. Uh, I think he's got some Hockey East games on ESPN's linear programming this year as well. If that was the expectation when I last checked in with him. So Jason is awesome. And these people that we're interviewing are incredible. Um, and yeah, this is all part of something that, that needs to change. It's incredibly humbling that I'm someone that got to get this project off the ground. We have an incredible board of directors and, uh, even, uh, you know, in terms of this being hockey centric, Alexander Randall got to work with the Erie Otters on Martin Luther King day here in the States last year and was the first black play-by-play voice, even for just a game, um, in that, that league's history. So there's, a uh, still some, some stuff that's going to be popping up for Martin Luther King Day this year with the Erie Otters, and we can't wait to be part of that. But just a, a, a ton of forward momentum and baby steps, but certainly piecing together some some youth that are, are getting themselves in the right position, and just it's been really exciting. Well, it sounds absolutely amazing, and I love the little uh, tag that you have at the top of the uh, account, I guess it's called, pushing the yeah. play-by-play <laughs> industry to, be, to more closely re- reflect society as a whole. I think that's... It just seems like that's common sense. It makes sense. I wonder, has there been any sort of, ne- I, I, it would be hard to think there'd be a negative pushback or something like that, but listen, you're a white guy. How, how does a white guy kick off something like this? Has there been any kind of pushback? Yeah, I made sure that when I was doing the initial stages of this, that I reached out to as many black play-by-play broadcasters as I could to learn about their experience and never try to project anything that I think about their experience onto what their experience actually is. And um, 
You know, even just yesterday when we were doing an interview with one of the applicants, Dave Sims, who is a 16-year voice of the Seattle Mariners mm-hmm. and really one of the, the godfathers of black play-by-play broadcasters in the country, um, he's on our board of directors. And we have an incredibly talented applicant from Oklahoma State University. And Dave kind of, you know, it was me, Dave, and this other uh, this applicant, junior in college, and Dave said, hey, h- how often have you shown up to an event and, you know, talk to somebody on the phone and then you show up and they look at you and go, oh, my God, you're, <laughs> you know, even if they're not saying, oh, my God, you're black, but, you know, your voice uh, on the phone might not give away the fact that you're black. And right. they had a they had a moment to, to kind of relate to one another in a way that I could never possibly relate. Um, and, you know, having to sit there on that Zoom and, and listen to their experiences just in that moment is emblematic of the different ways I've had to grow and understand and learn and um, just never try to assume something about a, a person or people that I am not part of. And so it's there's been very little pushback. Um, I've actually had the opposite where I've had a lot of people talk about the allyship and how that is needed just as much as if this initiative were led by someone who is black and that in some ways the initiative can be even more impactful if it is led by someone who is not directly benefiting from this. Um, And so, you know, and I say that not in a way that I I am benefiting from this in so many ways, just uh, emotionally, spiritually, it's been incredibly rewarding, but you know, this is all for um, lifting up a, a group that wrongfully has not been um, not been given a seat at the table. And, and that's for so many different reasons that we don't have time to get into. And some of them are explicitly racist and others are systematically racist. And so just being able to address all of those has been um, extremely important and rewarding over the last two plus now three years. Outstanding. Well said. Uh, Adam, listen, I, uh, congratulations on that. Uh, and I really appreciate you uh, speaking about it and uh, being able to come on the show and uh, educating us on the Yukon Huskies as well. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I hope uh, you don't mind if I call you again. Gee, hopefully it's uh, when we're getting ready for the Frozen Four in a couple of months. I'd, I'd punch my ticket for your show then. Awesome. Well, we'll do that. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot, Adam. All right. Be well, Gee. That was Adam Giardino, the radio play-by-play voice of the Yukon Huskies, who are having a terrific season in Hockey East. My initial thought was, you know what, I should get Coach uh, Mike Cavanaugh on the program. He's never been on the show before, and they're having such a good year. And then in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I might need to save that uh, for Frozen Four Coaches show at the end of the year. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, So track down uh, who is calling the games, and uh, glad I did. Adam, a terrific guest, knocked it out of the park. First time he's been on the show, but uh, season pro. And what a great uh, initiative that he's taken on, trying to get uh, some visible minorities to start uh, being in the broadcast booths, especially for hockey. And Everett Fitzhugh is the only one that I can think of when it comes to hockey. He was on the show back when he was calling games for the Youngstown Phantoms. Then he went on to the ECHL. He's now calling games for the Seattle Kraken in the NHL. I don't even know if you'll remember when he was on the Pipeline show. It's back when... Kyle Connor was uh, playing for the Youngstown Phantoms uh, of the Winnipeg Jets back before his college days with the Michigan Wolverines. It's a long time ago, but great work uh, from Adam, and I'm glad I was able to uh, call him. I will definitely add him to the rotation. All right, we've got a couple more guests coming on this week's episode. You're going to hear from uh, Riley Height of the Prince George Cougars in a uh, another 2023 draft spotlight. But up next, we're going to go to the East Coast in Canada, talk a little Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, the 
Halifax Mooseheads are absolutely on fire right now, especially one Jordan Dumay. That means Willie Palov uh, from the Chronicle Herald in Halifax. He is up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Steered away by Fitzpatrick. And then to the front. They score! It's Ben Olivier Groove. And while Olivier Groove gives the Mooseheads a 6-5 lead with four and a half gone here in the third period. Hi, my name is Bo Groove from the Halifax Mooseheads, and you're listening to Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, what happened? Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, and you can get it anywhere in Western Canada uh, by going to wilhockbeefjerky.com. But for this segment, we're headed to the other end of the country, and uh, we're going to talk about the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and uh, maybe we'll start with the Halifax Mooseheads, because my guest happens to cover that team uh, uh, as well as anybody does cover a uh, junior hockey team here in uh, Canada. Uh, Willie Palla from uh, the Chronicle Herald in Halifax. Uh, welcome back to the program, Willie. How are things in Halifax? I'm good. Always good to talk to you, Guy. Well, let's get right to it. And uh, the Mooseheads, uh, I don't know what expectations were at the start of the season, but they're sitting uh, in second place in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, there's a nice cushion for Quebec at the top. They've got a 10-point lead uh, over the field. But, you know, it's it's Quebec and then Halifax, and then it drops off again. Uh, what were the expectations for the Mooseheads coming in? Are they exceeding what people thought they would be able to do? Well, my expectations were that they were going to be a top five team. And I base that on the fact that they play in a pretty weak conference, as you just pointed out. Um, a lot of the other Atlantic teams went all in last year. So nobody other than Halifax is kind of positioned to go for it this year. We like that phrase. And uh, Quebec's on this side. And, of course, they're having an unreal year. But... Uh, because the way the schedule's weighted to conference and division play, they're going to get a ton of points. But in the big picture, they're, they're sort of in this two-year window, let's call it, the first year of when they can go for it because they're going to be strong again next year. And uh, they're running along at about 700% winning, um, and they haven't even had a full lineup yet. So uh, they're on track. They have an open 20-year-old spot. They can add someone pretty cheaply here at the Christmas trade period. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're a team I, I feel should at least be uh, in the conversation to say 
into the semifinals this year. Well, and as you mentioned, they haven't had their full roster yet because Zachary LaRue hasn't played yet this season. He got hurt, what, in Nashville's camp? I guess. Um, it's kind of been ongoing. Like, he, he lift, missed a bunch of time at the end of last year, and he missed the playoffs. Uh, it was kind of a hip flexor thing. And then they looked at it in the spring, and they felt like he could get away with uh, rehab instead of surgery. Mm. Um, I didn't keep an eye on him over the summer. But uh, it's my understanding that uh, it didn't quite uh, hold up in Nashville's camp. Um, again, I, I, I say all this in the context of uh, these usual hockey updates of upper lower body injuries and all kinds of secrecy and everything else. So I'm, I'm drawing some of my own conclusions here. But right. as I understand it, they, they did the surgery and he's due back any day. The target was Friday against Cape Breton. He's in town now. I, I can tell he's anxious to go. So you put a player like him into your lineup at no cost, 20 games into the season, um, that's going to help you. So they're pretty excited to get him back. Well, obviously a big piece to the puzzle there. But the, the biggest piece to the puzzle pretty much in the CHL right now is Jordan Dume. And the run this guy is on is absolutely ridiculous. He's got a 10-point uh, lead in the play, in the scoring race in the queue. Uh, and he's got way more points than anybody else uh, on the uh, Halifax Mooseheads team. But this hot streak that he's on, it goes back to last year. Willie, maybe put some perspective on this for uh, for casual hockey fans who might not be following this story. Yeah, let, I mean, I don't have his, his his stats right in front of me, but let's go back to, say, February last year. He just caught fire. Um, he was averaging like three points a game down the stretch, uh, wound up third in the league scoring race at 17, right? an undrafted player. And, uh, you know, the old argument, well, he's playing with a top player like Elliot Danoye last year, and maybe that's why he's doing so well. But, you know, he comes back this year and it doesn't matter who he's with. He, it, it's two points is uh, sort of an average, frankly, it's statistically a below average night for him. <laughs> he's going at about two and two and a half points a game. Uh, he's had two six point games already this year, two hat tricks. And, in all seriousness, you look out there and you're like, he could he could have five or six every night. It's it's insane the number of scoring chances he creates for himself and his line mates. Uh, he he just puts up numbers. It's it's unbelievable. Why don't we hear more about him in the in from the perspective of this is a guy who should be a shoe in for Team Canada at the World Junior or something like that? Maybe maybe there is that growing uh, thought, but to me, I I haven't heard that yet and. What about his NHL potential? You're a guy who's, you scout for Redline Report. You've been doing that for a long time. So you've seen a lot of NHLers uh, come from the queue. This is a guy who went, what, third round uh, to Columbus. And I know it's uh, a lot probably to do with his uh, his size. He's not that big of a guy. But is this an NHLer? And, and, and sh do you think he's uh, got potential to play for Canada? Yeah, like, it, it's an old bias, right? Like, he's a five foot nine, maybe 175-pound player. Uh, and he's not a big, physically strong five foot nine hundred and seventy five. He's, um, a, I don't want to call him a perimeter player, but he's a possession player, right? Like he, he's so good around the boards, and he's so good with loose pucks, and he always like if he goes into a fifty fifty stick battle, I'm not joking. He might get the puck eighty percent of the time. It's just a real knack, and then once he has it, he makes the absolute most out of whatever space and time he's got. Um, and so to answer your question, like the world juniors, he's playing against other junior players. So the argument that, well, he won't be able to play that way in the NHL, which I'll get to next. 
I don't know that you can apply that there. So mm-hmm. a kid who's leading the whole CHL in scoring ahead of Connor Bedard, anybody in the OHL, anybody in the WHL, 10 points ahead in the Quebec League, where, let's be honest, there are tons of other great players. Uh, why can't you at least invite him to that camp? But you look at projected rosters from any experts, he's never listed. Yeah. Um, and the tournament's here in Halifax, and I know that's not a uh, consideration, but at the same time, it is his rink, it's his town. Um, why not let him see if he can compete at the camp at the very least? I know I'd put him on the team at the very least as a power play specialist because he's just an unbelievable passer and finisher. Um, and yeah, with regards to the NHL, uh, most people did probably fairly have him rated uh, somewhere around the top of the second round to the third, which is where Columbus picked him, mainly because it's a bit of a wild card with a guy that size who isn't an outright speedster. They'll give a break to a kid who can burn you on the outside, but it's a, they're a little less uh, willing to do that with somebody who's more of a playmaker possession type player, but um, we'll see. Uh, he certainly could wind up as just an HL player and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I feel like he's just so talented that uh, in today's game where it's less about Braun than ever, you know, you see small players like uh, Artemi Panarin, for example, not burning up people on the outside, just making plays that uh, as someone that I could see, again, I'm not comparing him to Panarin in terms sure. of his upside, but just in terms of finding a place in the game, I, I, I think I could see it. Willie Palov, my guest. Uh, okay, we kind of glossed over the Quebec Rampart. Let's go back to them for a second. Have you seen them? Have they come to Halifax yet this year? They haven't been in yet this year. No, I'm looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Um, just stacked up top, right? Like Zachary Bolduc's coming back after 50-plus goals last year. Theo Rochette's an overager. Mm-hmm. I, I won't go through the whole roster, but just a, a top-to-bottom, really, really good team. And anybody who knows Patrick Waugh as a coach knows he goes for the throat, right? Yeah. He'll he'll add some more pieces at Christmas, and he'll want to pound on the league if he can. He's already doing that, but he'll uh, he'll, he'll he'll do whatever it takes. He loves winning more than anybody, probably. Maybe in the history of hockey, we know his reputation, right? So uh, I can't wait till uh, they come in here. They haven't even played Quebec on the road yet. They've been the Moosehead, so I haven't watched any of their games, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. All right, who who will be the top challengers? You said Halifax, you could see being a top five team. Quebec's number one right now. Who are the other clubs uh, to watch for out of the queue? Well, the two other obvious ones are Sherbrooke. Uh, they have uh, Joshua Waugh back last year, won the scoring title, and uh, he's back as a 19-year-old. So, of course, he's he's dominating. And mm-hmm. Ethan Gauthier was the first overall pick uh, a couple of years ago. He's coming into his own. They got some other players really playing well. In fact, they beat Quebec last week. So uh, they're right up there with Quebec in the top of the overall standings. But uh, the biggest threat for me is Gatineau. Um, they haven't had a full lineup either. Uh, they're heating up. They're, you know, up in that top five or so right now. But uh, two or three players out of their lineup, including Olivia Nadeau, who they traded for in the summertime, big-time Quebec League player, uh, their captain, Manix Landry, I think he's their captain, actually, and a bunch of others. But names you'd know, you know, Zachary Dean's there, Tristan Luno, uh, Samuel Savoie, who had a good a good run at Chicago camp this year. In terms of depth, like with real impact guys, they're right there with Quebec. And uh, I'm really curious to see them once they're 100%. And also, 
like anybody, they'll probably be shopping at Christmas time too. Noah Warren, big defenseman on the back end, drafted by Anaheim. I think what second round last year, big guy. A huge guy, six five. He's a massive wingspan. And Isaac Bellavo, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins draft pick, and uh, of course, I already mentioned Luno. He's putting up more than a point a game, I'm, I think, and uh, also an Anaheim pick. So former number one overall pick in the Quebec League, too. So, yeah, these guys, they're all coming into their own at the right time. They've been building for this for two to three years now. So uh, just if you if you looked at their roster, it's stocked with Quebec League first-round picks. So uh, the, these kids are ready to win. Uh, Willie, I know it was a slow start uh, to the year for a lot of the teams that were uh, well on the very east coast, especially Cape Breton, uh, because of the hurricane. What was the the lasting effect from that? And have those teams started to turn around? I look at the standings and I see St. John at the bottom and Cape Breton at the bottom. And well, Bathurst wasn't in the path of the hurricane, but there's a lot of teams uh, in the Maritime Division that uh, seem to be off to a pretty slow start. Yeah, I'll get to Cape Breton last because they really were affected by the hurricane, but. You know, St. John Memorial Cup champions, host yeah. team, they just emptied the tank last year and won the Memorial Cup. No surprise they're uh, having a tough time. They'll probably trade off their last few pieces here in another month or so. And they've also had injuries to their last few remaining good players, so tough for them. But nobody's upset, right? You win the Memorial Cup, and you're happy to pay that price. Yeah. Bath- Bathurst uh, went in a, a, a pretty... Uh, similar level brought in Hendricks lap here and a bunch of other guys Miguel Tourigny so they're rebuilding too didn't have a great playoff but uh had an exciting team and uh Cape Breton yeah like they uh they got pounded in Sydney that's where the real uh force the hurricane hit the hardest and around Sydney they like there are a lot of places without power for more than a week and they literally couldn't find ice because there weren't rinks uh with power to put it in they were stuck they couldn't practice at a critical time of the year, their, the the start of their season was delayed. Um, so they came out and lost like, I don't know, nine of their first 10, something like that. But they've actually been one of the hottest teams in the league. Uh, they had a six-game winning streak uh, a couple of weeks ago. Got a new coach this year, John Goyens, who uh, really highly regarded inside hockey circles. And um, pretty deep with new prospects and uh brought in a few older players to kind of help them along. So they're certainly not in a position to contend yet, but I, I'd like to see them come come out of this year a little higher than 500, inch into the middle of the pack, because it's been a tough, uh, a tough stretch up there in Cape Breton. So if they can get people excited about some of the kids they have coming up, then, then that's a win for the season for them. Going back to uh, Bathurst for a second, new ownership there, right? And is there... It seems like I've heard some stories, or at least there's uh, some thought that uh, that team might not be long for Bathurst. How important is that market to the to the queue? Uh, and if they don't stay, where would they go? You know, they they always talk about uh, Metro Montreal. I don't know. I, I've always been skeptical that it works there. Uh, they they've worked really hard in Blainville, Bobrian to uh, to do well there, but they still don't fill their rink or anything. Um, and Bathurst is tough, like. Uh, it's it's a small town, but also not a very populated area, kind of up in northern New Brunswick. But it's important in that uh, you need as many teams at this end yeah. to make the trips longer, right? Like if you're coming from Val d'Or, anywhere in Quebec, uh, you need to have a variety of teams that you can schedule a three or four game trip with. So, um, and it's halfway, right? So geographically, um, 
it sits in a good spot for coordinating these road trips. Um, but that's, it's kind of one of these community boosted teams. Um, they get a real good break on their lease at the rink. So it cuts and cuts their overhead down by quite a bit and they don't draw big crowds, but the fans there are pretty committed. The, the, the people like the small businesses in town are committed on a sponsorship level. So I hope it doesn't go. Um, but they also aren't making a ton of money and they're headed, looking at a heavy rebuild here. So uh, there is certainly some instability. Let's put it that way. Why doesn't Fredericton have a team? I know it's a, a government town and university town. It just seems weird that the capital city of the province doesn't have a, doesn't have a team. Yeah. Well, for all those reasons, it looks like an ideal spot, but the, the university team there just has a stranglehold on that market. They yeah. own the rink, um, the Aiken center and, you know, anyone who follows uh, CIS hockey knows UNB, probably the best program in the country going on 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gardner McDougall, uh, who came in to take the Sea Dogs into the Memorial Cup, just uh, highly, highly respected. Uh, they, they aren't really in a big rush to rent out their rink to a competitor like a Quebec League team. There's, there's really no other facility they could put a team in. And even if they could, you're, you're talking about splitting, uh, you know, a fan base that's already pretty entrenched with, with the UMB program. So I know that back when uh, the Montreal Rocket were moving from uh, from Verdun to, to Charlottetown, they, they looked at Fredericton first and found out all those reasons. And other teams have kicked some tires there, but they just find it such a stronghold that it's uh, it's not worth the energy. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you're right. The uh, Varsity Reds there are a pretty dominant uh, program, and uh, they own that town. Uh, before I let you go, Willie, uh, the buzz for the World Junior Championship. I know in this market in Edmonton, because it had been here for kind of three years in a row, uh, there's, I think, some market fatigue for the tournament here, and we saw the attendance was not great this past summer. Of course, it was also in the summer. What's the uh, the buzz like uh, in your market and uh, in Moncton where it's going to be held here uh, next month? You know, it's it's building. I, I, I'm thinking back also, like you, to that tournament in Edmonton. It, w- it was right when sort of this Hockey Canada yep. scandal news was breaking, and that was a big turnoff. And hockey in August is, I don't know, it's tough, right? Yep. And, uh, again, it's been out west because there's a lot of tournaments around Calgary and Red Deer, too, that uh, people just got – I think you're right. Not, I don't like to say spoiled, but just a little bit fatigued by it. So there was a bit of a hangover with that Hockey Canada scandal here. Um, I'm going back to September and October when uh, all this drama surrounding their board not resigning was, was at its peak and sponsors were going left and right. But as you know, the IHF is very reluctant to pull the plug for anything other than a catastrophic reason. And, uh, they uh, were committed all the way, the organizers and, of course, uh, the IHF. They kept it here. Um, hockey fans are hockey fans. It hasn't been here since 2003. So ticket sales have been strong, especially in Halifax, and, and they're catching up in Moncton. And uh, now that the schedule's been released for the, the camp tryouts and some of these pre-tournament games, and we're, we're what, like uh, almost exactly a month from the first game on Boxing Day. Mm-hmm. It's building, for sure. But uh, um, if I'm going back to that 03 tournament, it's not quite as crazy because it's the second time. That that was the first time, and it was off the charts. 
I've never seen the rink or the town like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure by the time it gets here, it's going to be a big show. And uh, the fans here always show up for the big event. So it'll it'll succeed. That's for sure. I know capacity in Halifax is pretty good. What What's the actual uh, the number for uh, fans that can pack the barn there and, and the new rink in Moncton too? Yeah, so here in Halifax, it's 10-5 basically. Okay. Uh, and it, it feels like a... It, a small pro rink. Sure. Uh, I mean, it was a pro rink at, at first, right? And uh, of course, they got all the bells and whistles, the big screens, and the you know the loudspeaker. It, it feels like a, a good environment for junior hockey. And the new rink in Moncton is awesome. It's, it's only slightly smaller. It's like eight thousand and change. Perfect. But it's only, I mean, maybe five years old, and uh, they did a terrific job designing it. It's right downtown. Um, super fresh inside and also fairly pro level. And, and of course they're hosting the pool that doesn't have Canada in it. Right. So you're going to see awesome hockey, but uh, you need to put the Canadian games, obviously in the rink that's slightly bigger, a slightly bigger center. And uh, I have no doubt they'll fill both and, and they'll look good on TV and anybody, the in-game experience for the fans going to be awesome too. And metal round is all in Halifax. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and of course the cities are only a couple of hours apart. So, right. Uh, and anyone who, who gets on board up in Moncton or around New Brunswick can, can easily come here and watch them go back and forth even in the same day. And the metal round's quick, too. So uh, yeah. if you want to make it a long weekend, uh, it's pretty easy to do that. So I think it'll work out great. Excellent. Willie, I appreciate the update. Always a treat when you're able to make time to come on the show. Uh, let's do it again. Yeah, likewise, Guy. Always great talking to you. Thanks. Yeah, World Junior season right around the corner. That was Willie Palov with the update from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and a little bit about the World Junior Championship. That'll be in Halifax and Moncton, two different provinces, but uh, not that far apart, the two cities. So uh, should be. I think it'll be a big success there. The new rink in Moncton sounds terrific. No, we won't have uh, Russia in the tournament again, so that takes, a, for me at least, it takes a little bit out of it because you don't have all of the uh, top hockey powers uh, represented, but we all understand why that's the case. And great to hear that uh, Zach LaRue is uh, close to returning, potentially even this weekend. Hopefully, for his sake, uh, he's able to stay healthy uh, for the rest of this year and beyond that first-round pick of the Nashville Predators not that long ago. All right, we've got one more segment to go, and speaking of uh, potential first-round picks, the 2023 Draft Spotlight gets turned on once again. We're going to close out the show getting to know Riley Height from the Prince George Cougars. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. We need this win, you know. we got a lot of losses. To yeah, we got a lot of losses. That's what we're here for, guys, to win. Hey, this is Dave Hansen of the Hansen Brothers from the movie Slapshot. I'm ready to put on a foil but not drink any of that stinking root beer as I sit down and listen to the Pipeline Show with my good buddy, E. Just a little bit south of Saskatoon Take my guitar for board and room Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. 
comes around is all around. Don't you mean what's all around comes around, Ricky? It's the last segment on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, which is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. That's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada. The website to go to is wilhockbeefjerky.com. We're going to end this week's episode with a 2023 draft spotlight and get to know another player who is uh, draft eligible this year. And for this one, we're headed up to the uh, the most remote uh, team in the WHL. Worst travel schedule, I would think my guest is probably going to agree with me. His name is Riley Height of the Prince George Cougars. Uh, Riley, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. Real quick, do you guys have the worst travel in the league? Oh, I don't know. I think that's uh, that's what a lot of people think. But I think um, you know we get a we get to go the day before, so I don't think it's too bad. But um, mm. I'd rather be doing that than doing day travel. So. Really? All right. It's not too bad. Yeah. Your closest opponent though is Kamloops. What's that? Five, six hours? Yeah, it is. But it's um, yeah, yeah. I guess the the travel days are pretty long, but I think we um, you know, we enjoy it on the bus, so it's not too bad. Yeah, you know, the guys in the OHL can't even comprehend a five-hour trip to your nearest opponent. So it's a, it's a lot different life in the uh, Western Hockey League, that's for sure. Uh, Riley, tell me about the season so far for you and the Cougars, because from the outside looking in, it looked like maybe a bit of a slow start, but you guys have really turned it around. You've one of the hottest teams in the league right now. You're on a four-game heater, and you're sitting in third place now in the Western Conference. So what's changed? Yeah, I think we're obviously, you know, I think we made some moves and stuff and we're just, uh, you know, we're coming together as a team. I think, uh, you know, I think we started the year off pretty good, but we had, a, you know, a couple of slow, uh, slow games. I thought that we, we kind of wasted a couple of games or points, but I think we, um, you know, we made some moves, like I said, and, and, you know, we're all coming together as a team. And I think we're all, uh, you know, we're happy with where we are in standings right now, but I think we're always trying to keep going here. And for yourself personally, you're coming off a season where you're almost a point-per-game guy. Uh, in your uh, first full year in the WHL, uh, I, I don't really count the the shortened season. I don't know if you guys do really the 22 games uh, in the bubble there. Uh, but uh, last year, 58 points in 65 games, 21 of those were goals. That's a really good season. Well, you're blowing those numbers out of the water already. 35 points, 12 goals in just 12 outings as we're speaking right now. I have to assume you're pretty happy with the way things have gone for you personally. Yeah, I think obviously the the puck fell to my way, I guess you could say. But um, you know, I just think it's you know it's coming to success for my teammates and stuff. I think I'm you know I'm playing with as you know Zemer there, and, and I've been with a lot of different wingers, and I think we're just um, you know we're obviously clicking as a team, and, and we're scoring scoring a lot of goals this year. I think we're we're tied for second in the league or something with scoring goals. So I think yeah. that comes to count, and our and our power play's been good. So yeah, it's just been around that team success has definitely helped me out for sure. And that's new. The uh, the team offense uh, this year is new for Prince George. It's been a while since you know, the Cougars have been, you know, one of the more offensive teams in the league. You, you guys were a young team last year, lots of talent, but a young team. Is that just a product of now you guys are another year older as a group? Uh, and you've mentioned some new guys coming in to help as well, but it seems like just uh, from year to year that maturity should uh, result in some more offense as well, and, and that seems to be coming through. Yeah, exactly. Um, bringing those, bringing those. You know, we got new twenties this year and stuff. So you know, bringing. We just got Dubinsky recently, and then and then Evan Weecroft. Obviously, he's he's got something like seventeen goals right over. So I think he's doing. You know, he's producing obviously, and then we got like I said, four lines. Um, that's probably our biggest. Um, you know, success this year. Any any line can score at any time. So I think that's um, made us dangerous for sure. Well, coming off a big win uh, against the Moose Jaw Warriors earlier this week, five two. You got a goal in that game, and you got Kamloops uh, this coming uh, weekend on Saturday night. I'm assuming those are easy games to get up for. Uh, it's your closest rival, but also a team you're chasing in the standings. 
Yeah, for sure. Obviously, we it's always fun going playing Canada, especially at our rank right now. Where you know, I think we're, we'll have the fan zone stuff, so it's going to be awesome. And, and you know, we're excited to uh, you know, we only got one game this weekend, so we got nothing to save it for. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we're excited to play them for sure. I said you're chasing them; they're actually chasing you right now. They've got games in hand, but you're actually in uh, top spot in the BC division. So uh, my mistake yeah. on that. Riley Height is my guest. He's a forward with the Prince George Cougars, draft eligible. This year, and that's what we're doing in this segment, Riley. The Pipeline Show is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will know about you and about the Cougars and the WHL, but there will be a lot of casual NHL fans who don't care about junior or college hockey at all and don't follow it, uh, but they'll listen to a segment like this because you're such a high-profile guy for the draft. Uh, so for the benefit of that uh, audience that's listening right now, we got to get uh, go back to the beginning. Uh, where are you from? I'm from uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. All right. Who... Got you into hockey, and how old were you when you started playing? Um, I think um, you know, I was on the. It's it's pretty chilly in, in uh, Saskatoon there, so I always <laughs> always had an outdoor rink growing up. And I think, you know, just when I was, I don't know the exact age, around three or four or five, I think just on the outdoor rink um, with my brothers, probably one of my first memories, and, and that's what got me into hockey for sure. Well, I know you got at least one older brother and Tyler uh, who played as well. So I imagine as a younger brother, I I had an older brother too, and it was the case of just wanted to follow along and do whatever he was doing part of that for you as well yeah for sure exactly he's uh he's been a you know mentor to, for me my whole life he's he's been through it so i think just um you know at a young age especially um watching him do things and, and stuff and him teaching me little little things about my game in the backyard and stuff was obviously you know it's very important what to my success now and uh, you know i thank him for it a little different he was a defenseman though wasn't he and uh, you're a forward have you always been a forward or did you actually tried defense for a while or was he a forward for a while yeah exactly he actually he played forward up until junior so he was uh he switched to defense in junior so actually he was he was always a forward when i was growing up so that wasn't an issue okay all right interesting and he went the college road he played at merrimack uh for three years and uh, i think he's at uh university of regina now i believe um, yeah, yeah. Was, was the college path something that you considered or did you always know I mean you're a pretty highly touted guy did you know the Western League was the right fit for you yeah I think just growing up um you know always going to the Blades games and stuff was that that was my my dream to play in the WHL my whole life so I think just watching those guys growing up probably set my mind in an early age that I was just going to play in the WHL and and that's you know I'm glad I made that decision well when you're drafted as highly as you were and you didn't have to wait very long uh, to be a uh, taken in the WHL banner draft, second overall pick by the Prince George Cougars. And I know there was a lot of attention on your draft class that year, a lot of big names, and uh, obviously it's panning out well for the NHL draft this year as well. But uh, when you know you're going to Prince George, what's your immediate reaction? Because it's pretty far away from Saskatoon. You're, you're probably moving away at a young age for the first time. Uh, were you a little apprehensive at first? Yeah, for sure. I think it's obviously a bit of a, a bit of a shock. I was, I was, I don't know, what are you, 14 when you get drafted? So I think mm-hmm. I was pretty, you know, obviously it was, it was a ton of excitement and stuff early on. And, and, you know, I, as soon as they heard, as soon as I heard my name announced, obviously I was, you know, pumped to come here and, and meet everyone and being this far away from home. I think it's nice just to get up in the, get up into BC a little bit. I'm, I'm from Saskatchewan, so I've been there my whole life on a flat lot. So to, to travel around here is obviously, it's awesome. I love it. So. I'm curious how you deal with the pressure because when you're taken as high as you were, you know there's going to be pressure. The the uh, organization used a high pick on you, so they're going to have high expectations. The fan base obviously is going to expect you to be a, a an impact player. Uh, a lot of players will tell me that nobody puts more pressure on uh, on a player than the player himself. Uh, is there uh, a bit of that for you? 
Yeah, for sure. I was just, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking of my answer as you were asking me that. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. So I think just, you know, it's, I don't know, I think you just learn how to deal with pressure and, and, and you know what, I think just at the end of the day, just go play your game and, and do your best. I think that's, that's what everyone's looking for. And, you know, just, they picked you for a reason. So I think if you just be yourself and, and play your game, like uh, that's the way I should do. How has your game evolved? Uh, how have you evolved as a player since you first got to Prince George? It's, uh, you know, it's been two and a half, three years now. Uh, I imagine you're a different player to some degree. Uh, what's changed? Yeah, I think just coming in, obviously there's a lot to learn in the WHL at a, at a young age. I honestly had no clue what I was getting into, but I think I, my coaching staff here, um, you know, I've done a hell of a job and I think they've, you know, they've improved me in a lot of areas, especially my defensive game. I think playing in Bantam when you just, when you have the puck all night, it's a little different from when you, when you come in and a lot more structure involved and stuff in the WHL. So I think just learning, learning how to play a little better both sides of the puck from those, from my, from all my staff and stuff that is, has really helped me, I think, in, in my success for sure. You mentioned that uh, Cohen Zimmer a little while ago. Uh, both of you really highly touted for the NHL draft. I don't know. Is it something you guys actually talk about uh, at, at all or is that something you don't, is that a subject you don't really talk about? Yeah, I think we're, we're we're really close buddies, so I think that's obviously something you're going to bring up once in a while, and we just, I don't know, we don't try to think about it too much. I think we just both uh, you know, agreed at the start of the year just to go out and, and, and try our best. We're on, the, we're on the same line, so I think the, the better one guy's doing, the more success the other one's going to have. So I think we just, you know, go play our game and, and share the puck and, and make plays. I think that's what we, uh, you know, obviously decide on. It's working, it's working far, uh, it's working so far, so I think just keep doing that and and you know what, we, we totally laugh about it at the odd time, but I don't know, we're not uh, too worried about it. No friendly wagers on who gets taken first or anything? I mean, you're both uh, expected, could potentially both of you be in the first round? No, none of that so far, no. All right. Uh, for those, uh, you know, a lot of guys I talk to say they don't even want to think about the draft at all, and they, they don't want to be distracted by rankings or whatever it is. Other guys tell me that they actively, they want to know where Central Scouting has them ranked, or TSN, or Sportsnet, or whoever, because they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you, Riley? Yeah, I don't think I'm honestly at all. I'm not too worried about that stuff at all. I think just, um, you know, I think the true true rank will come on, on the draft day and you get picked. So I don't think I'm too worried about that. And, you know, just like I said, go and play my game and that's all I can control. And, you know, I can't control what other people put on the internet and stuff like that. There's so much stuff nowadays. So I think just go through and, uh, you know, play my game is what my job is for sure. The sheet I'm looking at lists you at 5'11 and 178 pounds. I don't know how up-to-date that is, though. Uh, what are you at right now? Yeah, that's that's about exact. Okay. Uh, do you think you've topped out uh, height-wise, or do you, is there still some growing still to come? Oh, I think, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. My brother grew to, at a, at a, he grew when he was uh, older, too, so I don't know. It's, hopefully I can grow a couple more inches, but uh, if not, it's not a big deal at all. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, you're not 6'2 or 6'3, and you're not 210 pounds, but it doesn't obviously seem to be affecting you at all uh, on the ice. Why is that? Uh, some people might say, well, you got to be bigger to play and have success at the NHL level, but there's a lot of guys your size uh, who are ripping it up at the top le level in the league. Uh, so why hasn't it been an issue for you? Yeah, I think just the league is obviously, you know, it's it's still very physical and stuff like that, but I think the league's just evolving and in, in the skill area, I think a little more and, and speed is, I think the number one factor in today's game. So I think if you have, if you have speed and you can think the game well, I think you're, you're able to play at any, any level. So I think that, and obviously I'll try to put on some more size and stuff as I get older here, but I'm still, 
still growing and young, so I think that'll just come over over the years as you get older. All right. Uh, lastly, you're from Saskatoon. Uh, no NHL team in in that city or in the province uh, at all. Uh, did you have a favorite NHL club growing up? Um, not not really a favorite NHL team. I just always, you know, I always like Crosby. So I think um, Pittsburgh was up there, obviously, because I liked watching him. And just recently, I'm obviously I'm loving Edmonton. So yeah, they've been they've been my team for sure. Ah, so you're one of those guys who looks more to individual players. You have favorite players scattered around the league as opposed to a a single team. Is there somebody at that level that you look to and think, well, I, you know, we have a similar style or we're similar size. You try to pattern your game a little bit after them. Maybe there's one or two guys. Yeah. I think I just try to, um, you know, a bit of Sidney Crosby and, uh, Nikita Kucherov on, on Tampa there. I think I have, I don't know. I like to try to play like, um, Kucherov with the puck a little bit and, and make those plays to guys that no one else thinks you can do. And, hmm. And obviously, you know, Crosby's leadership and his his determination to be the best, I think, is, is something I've always, you know, I think that's one of my strongest suits. You've been in BC this whole time, and with the COVID and stuff, there has been the crossover between the conferences. Finally, you get to leave BC, or at least the the Western Conference this year. You come to Alberta. Uh, so you get as close to Saskatoon as you'll get as Edmonton, probably, or maybe Red Deer. Uh, you're going to have some friends and family that uh, make the trip over? Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, for sure on the Alberta trip, there there's going to be a lot of people. I think it's obviously exciting for our team. We, I haven't I've been in the league now for I guess if you're counting the bubble three years, my third year. So I think yeah to go there is pretty good, closer to home. And then when I'm when I'm in Swift, I think that's only about about a two and a half hours away from Saskatoon. So I think there'll be you know there'll be probably sixty people there if I'm guessing. <laughs> awesome. Well, it'll be great to see the Cougars uh, come through Edmonton once again. Riley, I really appreciate your time. Uh, listeners don't know this, but uh, you've been really flexible with me this week, uh, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, best of luck to you and the rest of the, the uh, Cougars uh, for the duration of the series or season, rather. Uh, I hope we can chat again. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. That was Riley Height of the Prince George Cougars. Those Cougars, man, they are absolutely ripping it up this year. It's amazing what a difference one year can make. As I'm speaking with you right now, it's Friday night. Now, the games on Friday night have not begun yet. However, Prince George comes into this weekend with 97 goals for. That is second most in the Western Hockey League. Second most. Compare that to last season where they had 177 goals total all year. That was second lowest in the Western Hockey League. That's a huge difference, and that's, that's all, you don't even have to look for any other reason why Prince George is where they are right now compared to where they were last year. Amazing turnaround uh, for the Cougars, and a lot of it has to do with the players that they brought in. And I'm looking forward to, I believe it's in uh, January, somewhere around January 21st, uh, when the Cougars make their first trip into Edmonton since... Well, obviously, pre-COVID. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Most of you will probably receive this on a Saturday, although I'm going to do my best to get it out here on a Friday night. Uh, but uh, I was supposed to have that interview with Riley yesterday on Thursday, but I got tied up and I got caught in traffic and I just couldn't get uh, set up in time. And uh, he was very flexible and agreed to do it uh, on Friday night. Thankfully, the Cougars don't play tonight, uh, so he was uh, able to do so. But all three of the other guests who you heard me uh, have this week, they were all done earlier in the week. So I was able to get a full show in, which is uh, always uh, something I like to do here. Next week on the program, actually, I don't have anybody lined up just yet, but uh, the invites will be going out uh, this weekend. Quick thank you to everyone who's been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com 
slash the pipeline show where you can get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show there probably won't be early access for this riley height one because it's so late in the week but 99.9 percent of the interviews on a, uh, a full episode most of the time the uh, patrons get to hear those probably two three sometimes four days uh, before the full episode is released to the general public so if that's something that you'd be interested in checking out go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show for all the information there as i said that wraps up the week so get out and watch some junior hockey so that you and i can talk about it next week right here on another episode of the pipeline show brought to you by wilhock beef jerky until then my name is keith flaming see ya <laughs>